Hello everybody, this is Dan Trotter, Pretty Good Bible Studies. I am in Acts chapter 28. I'm going to do the first 10 verses of Acts 28. Our context is this. Paul is in the middle of his tempestuous journey from Caesarea to Rome on a couple of ships. He was on a ship, an Alexandrian ship that had was taking grain from Alexandria to Myra in Lycia and then taking another ship, uh, taking that ship, got uh, Paul and his companions got on that ship at Myra and had sailed across the Mediterranean to the south of Crete. The, they, it was getting late in the sailing season. The weather was turning bad. Paul told them to stay at Fair Havens on the south of Crete. They didn't do that. The ship's company decided to go ahead and go to try to get to Phoenix, a northeaster, northeasterly wind. The Uroquillo blew up all of a sudden and started blowing them away from Phoenix further south. And the next thing they know, they're wandering around in the middle of the Mediterranean for 14 days with no sun and no stars to navigate by. They're basically lost, and the ship starts breaking up. And, and to make a long story short, they ended up, ended up shipwrecked on the island of Malta. So we start here in Acts 21, that's where we are. Once ashore, that's on Malta, once ashore, we then learned that the island was called Malta. They didn't know where they were when they, when the ship started breaking up on the rocks. Oh, excuse me, not on the rocks, but on a sandbar. And then when they landed, they realized they were in Malta. Either they recognized it or they met the people there that met them and built a fire for them. And, and they told them that they were on Malta. We don't know. Now, where is Malta? If you look at the map of Italy, you know what Italy looks like. It's got a toe that looks like it's kicking something. And Sicily looks like the football that is kicking. It's an island that is separated by very narrow straits, the Straits of Messina, I think they're called. Uh, and Sicily is, so Sicily is just to the south and west of the toe of Italy. And then if you go almost due south of Sicily, there's a little tiny island south of Sicily, called Malta. It's a famous place. You recall the Knights of Malta from medieval history. We go to verse 2. The local people, that's the local people of Malta, showed us extraordinary kindness, for they lit a fire and took us all in, since it was raining and cold. Remember, it's late October, early November by this time, and it's raining and it's cold. And Luke says it was extraordinary kindness. Now, you notice he's still saying us. That's because Luke is with him, and he's writing this book. So we still have the so-called we passages here. We know that Luke is present. And Luke says it was extraordinary kindness. Well, that was a blessing, according to Adam Clark, because many local inhabitants at various places might have killed the survivors. After all, they were prisoners. Some of them had chains on, including Paul, probably. So, Or maybe not probably. Let's just say maybe. They were treated nicely, and that, that was a providential blessing. Now, the local people... Interesting language note here. They're called barbarians in the Greek. The Holman Christian Study Bible, of course, does not translate that as barbarians because the Greeks used the term barbarian to refer to any foreigner in a neutral sense. Like we we use the word foreigner, we don't say that's there's nothing pejorative about that. So they weren't barbarians in our sense. In our sense, these Maltese people were Phoenician in in, in their ancestry, according to the NIV Study Bible and Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown. They spoke the Phoenician dialect, and they were thoroughly Romanized. This is all in accordance with the history of the Mediterranean. The Phoenicians were big in, what, the 8th century B.C., maybe a little bit earlier than that. They they, they had their ships all over the Mediterranean, all through, even through the Straits of Gibraltar on the west coast of Africa, on on the western coast of Spain. They were everywhere, and so that's who these people were that were very kind. 
Now, I wonder if the locals knew they were sheltering escaped criminals. I just said that they were extraordinarily kind, considering that they were escaped criminals, but maybe they didn't recognize that they were escaped criminals. Maybe they just thought this is just a shipwreck and we need to help the people. People tend to want to help people in a crisis like that. We read now verses 3 through 6. As Paul gathered a bundle of brushwood and put it on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened itself to his hand. When the local people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, This man is probably a murderer, and though he has escaped the sea, justice does not allow him to live. However, he, Paul, shook the creature off into the fire and suffered no harm. They expected that he would swell up. The local people expected that he would swell up or suddenly drop dead. But after they waited a long time and saw nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. Now, isn't this an objective evaluation of character? They start out thinking he's a criminal, a, a condemned capital murderer, condemned to die, and the next thing they think he's a god. Now, the locals must have known that the particular kind of snake that fastened itself to Paul's hand was poisonous. They were familiar with the snakes in the area. John Gill points out that this snake bite was exceedingly venomous. I don't know how he knows that. I guess it must have been if they expected him to drop dead just like that, or at least swell up. Notice that the term swell up is a Greek term that's a medical term used by Luke the physician. Another little detail showing the accuracy of Luke's history. Now, the people mistook Paul for a god. This is the second time people mistook Paul for a god. The Lystrians, on the first missionary journey, Lystra is in Galatia, right in the middle of the Asia Minor. That's where Timothy was probably from. We read in Acts 14, 11 through 12, when the crowd saw what Paul had done, this crowd's at Lystra, they raised their voices, saying in the Lycaonian language, Lycaonia was, a, was an area around there, a little bit south of there, I think, the gods have come down to us in the form of men. And they started to call Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the main speaker. Zeus, Barnabas was bigger than Paul, so he was called Zeus, and Paul was smaller than Barnabas, and he was the main speaker, and Hermes was the messenger god who spoke a lot, so they figured that Zeus had sent Paul, Zeus had sent, spent Hermes, Barnabas had sent Paul to speak to the Lystrians. It's really, it's really kind of interesting here. Paul is usually called all kind of bad names. He's not fit to live. He's carried before magistrates. He's thrown in jail. He has rocks thrown at him. And then sometimes people think he's a god. This, sir, this message that Paul was preaching really shook people up. Notice there's an interesting little detail here that I like. Paul was gathering up brushwood to put it on the fire, to keep the fire going to make it hotter. Paul is the leader of this band now, and yet he's going out there gathering wood for the fire. He's not too proud to say, hey, guys, you go do it. I'm, I'm the leader now here. Well, he was a humble man anyway, and, but not only that, he was still a prisoner. Julius was still there, and Julius was in charge. So I don't think Paul's going to be going around ordering people to put wood on the fire and him not doing it. But it just goes to show that the great apostle who had many, many visions was not averse to getting his hands dirty. I mean, after all, he, he in some places, in Corinth, for example, he made tents, and that's a nasty business. He was not, he didn't have the typical Greek aversion to manual labor. You know, the Greeks thought it was the worst thing in the world to get you to, to, to do something manual. It's like being a prostitute or something, you know, not Paul. Now, why did the people think that Paul might be a murderer? Well, first of all, the snake grabbed his hand, but also they could see his chains, as John Gill points out. Now, think of how hard it would be to get to shore with chains on your arms when that ship broke up on the sandbar in the gulf, in the, in the bay outside. Paul managed to do it even with his chains. 
Now, that's assuming the chains are still there. I, I, you know, Publius could have taken those chains off. He might have figured, man, this man saved our lives. He might have taken the chains off before Paul got on the sh- on the planks. Or, or when he, if Paul got to the shore with the chains on, he would have had to have floated on a plank or some debris from the ship. If he swam to shore, Publius must have let the chains off of his arms. But at any rate, at least the snake told the local people there or indicated to the local people, this man's a murderer. So they were waiting for the murderer to get his own. I mean, just because he was not legally convicted, you know, sometimes people thought that murderers could be people that the government could not legally convict. And, and so they thought, well, if the state couldn't get him, the gods would get him, as John Gill points out. Well, they might have thought that, but they also might have thought he was legally convicted if he had chains on he's being carried to Rome. So either way, they were convinced Paul was a murderer at first. But when he didn't swell up and die from the snake, then they thought he was a god. Now, it's interesting about that snake. Adam Clark says that snake didn't actually bite Paul. It just fastened himself, fastened itself to his hand. The text actually does not say that the snake bit Paul. But let me ask, if, I, if, if Mr. Clark was around today, I would say, Adam, or excuse me, Mr. Clark, I would say, how is it that a poisonous viper is going to fasten itself to somebody's hand and not bite him? I mean, that's possible, but is it likely? I don't think so. And the locals must have at least thought that Paul's bitten because they were waiting for him to die or swell up. So they must have thought that the viper had bitten Paul. They looked at it and said, oh, the snake bit Paul's hand. And I think the reason they thought that is because that's what actually happened. The snake bit Paul's hand. Now, assuming the snake bit Paul's hand, which I think is pretty clear, this fulfills what Mark said in Mark 16:18. I realize there's a textual problem here, but assuming it's in the text, Mark 16:18, they will pick up snakes, means that those who follow Jesus will pick up snakes. If they should drink anything deadly, it will never harm them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will get well. Well, the part about laying hands on the sick, they will get well, is going to be fulfilled here in just a minute as Paul goes around healing a bunch of people on Malta. But the picking up snake, well, Paul fulfilled that too. But notice that he did not deliberately pick up snakes as certain folks in Tennessee and areas of the Southland here like to do. No, you don't go deliberately harassing a snake and picking it up. You deserve to get bit if you do something that dumb, especially if it's poisonous. And if they should drink anything deadly, that means by accident. Kaopectate. Let's say you think somebody tells you that kaopectate or castor oil will cure a sickness. And you drink it. That stuff is deadly, folks. I don't care if it's approved by the FDA. That stuff is deadly. Well, you drink something like that, it it's not going to harm you. But you don't drink it on purpose, not, at least if, not if you have any sense. I think that's obvious. Now, John Gill has an interesting point here. He says that the modern inhabitants, that means modern as in the 1800s when Gill was writing, modern inhabitants of Malta do not fear snakes. They believe that Paul drove out all the venomous snakes. So here we have legends following Paul. He didn't drive out all the venomous snakes. He just didn't get bit by one of them. But you know how people are. They love legends. To show that the locals knew what kind of snake that was, they expected Paul to die. Well, the reason they expected Paul to die is they were quite familiar with that kind of snake and that kind of snake bite. We go to verse 7 in Acts 28. Now in the area around that place was an estate belonging to the leading man of the island named Publius, who welcomed us and entertained us hospitably for three days. So what they did is they gathered the 276 people on that boat on the beach they built a big fire for them and tried to as they gathered up the people and said come over here and and they gathered them all together they were outside in the rain but they had that fire going and then once they got everybody together the locals took them to the big shot on the island on malta a guy named publius and publius was quite nice he entertained 
entertain the company for three days. Now, notice this, this is not just a small meal. 276 people for three days. It's a good thing Publius was loaded. I assume he was loaded since he was the leading man on the island because that would be very expensive. This shows the providence of God, God taking care of Paul and all those sailors and all those soldiers and all those passengers on that ship. Remember, he had had a vision. He said, not one of you going to perish, but you got to sailors. You can't leave the boat by cutting off the skiff and escaping on the skiff. You can't do that. You got to stay with the ship. You're not going to die. And he was exactly right because he had had a vision from the angel of God. Now, another little detail showing what a good historian Luke was is that the Greek for that phrase leading man, Publius is called a leading man in verse 7, Acts 28. The NIV Study Bible points out that the Greek for that term leading man is literally first man and is not a common term, but Luke accurately uses it as the NIV Study Bible and Adam Clark and Jameson Fawcett and Brown all point out, which shows how accurate his history is. Now, the Greeks have all kinds of political terms. I've been listening to a Greek podcast on ancient history, and when he gets into politics and to, and to government, he just doesn't even bother to translate the words in English. He just uses the, Greek, the transliteration of the Greek word. Here's some examples. Antipatos is a proconsul. A strategoi is a magistrate. Polytarchus is a city official. And Asiarchon, officials of the province, is how some of the English is translated. You see, the English kind of fudges over the Greek particularity of the term the uniqueness of the Greek term, as it does leading man. It kind of fudges over the Greek. I don't have the Greek in front of him, but it's a technical Greek term. And so Luke constantly uses all these technical Greek terms. It shows that he knows what's going on. He knows the Greek government and the Greek and the Roman. He, he knows the Roman system, which used, of course, Greek terms. Now, Publius entertained the ship's company of 276 people for three days, Well, because that's probably how long it took to find winter lodgings for 276 people he had to go around and call in his call in his chits if you will he had to say hey so and so mr smith needs you to put up somebody for till the winter season is over till these people can sail to rome well that's a lot of hospitality because the, back then hospitality was a big deal but anyway Poobies had enough clout where he could do that and but it took him three days to do it and so he put up the, the crowd for three days and this is remarkable people don't often notice this that it's remarkable that god providentially provided that kind of hospitality at the end of a shipwreck we go to verses 8 and 9 in acts 28 publius's father was in bed suffering from fever and dysentery paul went to him and praying and laying his hands on him on the father on publius's father he paul healed him healed Publius's father. After this, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. Now, as Jameson Fawcett and Brown point out, the healing of Publius's father was a great compensation for Publius's hospitality. It certainly was. Publius had entertained an apostle of Christ unawares. He didn't know who Paul was. In fact, at first he probably, well, he wasn't, he might not have been there when he, at the fire when they saw the viper on Paul's hands, but he didn't have any way of knowing exactly who Paul was. And all of a sudden, this guy comes in and heals his father of a fever and dysentery. And dysentery, folks, that ain't something pleasant. Dysentery, whew, it's not, not good. Now, here is an interesting little detail that I want to point out. Paul went to Publius's father and praying and laying his hands on him, he healed him. He, Paul, healed Publius. And you think, well, what's the big deal? Well, when I was involved in the charismatic movement back when I was in college, we were always told, don't you ever say that you healed anybody because that shows arrogance, or at least it opens you up to arrogance and you get proud. And I think that was perfectly reasonable. 
Because a lot of people who have the gift of healing do get proud about it and end up shipwrecking their faith and causing scandal in the body of Christ. I know personally a guy who was, he went to elementary school and junior high school with me, ended up having minor parts in Hollywood in movies. He was kind of a, shall we say, a, a an exuberant, flamboyant sort of person. And I was praying with him one time, a guy that's, he was in his 60s. He's about my age now, but back then I was in my 20s. And this guy had back problems, and we prayed, and I was praying with this flamboyant guy I'm telling you about, wannabe movie star, and I felt the power of God, like hot heat, rolling, going through that man's back, and the man stood up and said, oh, my back's been screwed up for a long time, and I can walk, and I, I, I can't even feel anything, and, and I, yeah, that was healing, all right? Well, this man was so proud that he ended up backsliding after he went to the movies. He came to my high school reunion with some, I had a fellow classmate was convinced the girl was a whore i don't know if she was but she looked like one comes up in some jaguar with a top down this guy did and he was just arrogant and he ended up backsliding and dying of a terrible disease that he couldn't get healed from lying in a bed for the last miserable months of his life and so yeah people do can get proud when they get the gifts of god and they start exercising their gifts they pretty soon they think they're god's gift to mankind so, yeah, you do need to be careful. But notice here, Luke didn't say Jesus healed Publius' father through Paul. He just said he healed him. Luke wasn't hung up about saying that Paul healed Publius' father. Now, of course, Luke would never sanction people getting proud about it, and Paul never got proud about being able to heal people. But just I just noticed that, uh, that Luke says Paul healed him. No big deal. Nothing to get proud about. That's just a gift of the Holy Spirit, and that's the way it is. Now, notice that after the Publius's father was healed, all the rest of the people on the island who had diseases came and got cured because healing is a great and usual and typical part of the apostolic message. You can't deny that. It's everywhere. They went around healing people just like before Paul and during the days of Jesus' ministry, those apostles went around healing people all over the place just like Jesus did. I'm tempted to make a comment about the attitude of current day cessationist, but I'm going to refrain from doing that right now while I'm still in a good mood. Now, dysentery was a disease for which an accurate medical term was used to describe here. Luke is a physician. He uses a medical term. Again, one more detail of Luke's accuracy as an historian. Now, Luke was not asked to use his medical skill here. They resorted to supernatural means to heal this guy, and it could be because there's nothing that Luke had that could have helped fever and dysentery. I mean, after all, they didn't have Tylenol and Imodium AD back then. So, again, I, I think this is a general rule. You use natural means the best you can, but natural means will fail pretty quick, and then you better start relying on the providence of God, and then after that fails, start relying on... I don't want to say the providence of God fails, but let's say uh, if the providence of God is not enough in that situation... Then you go to miracles. <laughs> so, God, miracles are by definition rare. Otherwise, they wouldn't be miracles. But they do happen, and sometimes you need a miracle because you're in such an unbelievably screwed up spot in your life. You need a miracle to deliver you. Anyway, we go to verse 10, and we'll finish up this section, Acts 28. So they, that's the local people there, heaped many honors on us. The local people in Malta heaped many honors on us. And when we sailed, they gave us what we needed provisions for the journey to Rome. Rome wasn't that far away, but they still needed provisions to get there, and they not only had that three-month hospitality, they even gave them stuff to help them on their way to make it to Rome. Remember, they're pitiless. Now they're shipwrecked. So they had no money and no provisions, no wealth, and it was all provided for them. 
providentially. And so they sail. They sail three months after coming ashore. How do I know three months? Because the next verse in verse 11 says, after three months we set sail. So that's how we know that. Now, during those three months, this is a speculation, but I assume that Paul probably preached the gospel and got a lot of people saved there. I mean, he's healed a lot of people. Doesn't say anything about him preaching and getting people saved, but usually when there's healing, people say, well, how'd you do that, Paul? And Paul says, because of Jesus Christ who rose again from the dead, and he has borne our sicknesses and healed our iniquities, and he can forgive you of your sins and bear your sins as well as your sicknesses, and so forth. So I'm sure he got a lot of people saved. All right, we've finished with the stay on Malta in the first 10 chapters of verse, first 10 verses of chapter 28 of Acts. We'll take it up in Acts 28 verse 11 and finish the book of Acts with Paul traveling to and ministering in Rome. Hope you stay tuned for that audio and I hope you enjoyed this one. 